if Romans 9 is not about being unconditionally elected to heaven or hell, then what do we do with Romans 10? God has a plan that seems new to us to accomplish his overall purpose of bringing the world to himself. God's plan still marches forward as he elects certain people for certain tasks. Do you want God's plan? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. And that is spelled, <clears throat> excuse me, G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And then you're, you're going to find us in person every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. on the public square and every Sunday between about 4 and 5 p.m. Uh, in the public square where we will be having outdoor uh, gatherings, outdoor meetings. There'll be preaching and singing. And so you can find us there. You can contact us also at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at five, uh, call or text at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. So we determined before the Father's Day segment, going through Romans 9, that Romans 9 is not speaking about unconditional election, um, meaning that some people before the foundation of the world, irrespective of their choices, have been chosen to heaven and some to hell, and there's nothing they can do about it. The number of people cannot be increased nor decreased. This is God's decree, and it's supposedly supposed to be to the praise of his glorious justice which flies in the face of all um, that we know of what right and justice is, because God himself is doing all these things. And people often use Romans chapter 9 to teach that this is, in fact, what the scriptures teach. However, we had found that looking in Romans chapter 9, it is speaking about national election. National election for certain, in the case of Israel, they were going to be God's container to bring forth the glorious truth to all the nations. So they were nationally elected. And then because of their disobedience, they were brushed off to the side uh, and they were judgments and things that happened to them. And that election, the, the benefits and rewards of that election uh, were kind of pushed off to the side because God still needed to get this plan of redemption out. And we're going to see a turnaround in that in just a little bit. Um, then, in addition to that, we go to the issue about Pharaoh, and we find that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and God sealed that hardening, and then God, through his choices of election, uh, used Pharaoh then to bring the um, knowledge of his truth throughout all the nations of the earth, because people started, we, and we can read it in the scripture, we heard about what you had did to Egypt and how you crossed the Red Sea. That whole occurrence 
of not just wiping Pharaoh out the moment that he was being disobedient, but and uh, allowing that to take place over and over again. And it says he raised him up. There was like a resurrection at every time where God raised him up instead of judgment coming down was so that God's glory could be seen to all the nations. This th That was the message of Romans 9. If you have not um, heard that, then you can go to your favorite podcast platform. You can go to godsresistance.com and that'll funnel you to all the different places where you can listen to that and check on that yourself. And maybe I'll put one of those little link cards going on uh, in the video somewhere. Um, but without further ado, let's move into Romans 10. So what is Romans 10? have to do with this argument about unconditional election or that it's not unconditional election. I would say that we started with the thought that election, uh, as far as the Jews were concerned, was a national election. They were specially blessed by God because what they were going to do was bring the knowledge of the truth unto all the nations. That was God's will from the beginning, that all the nations would know him through the people of Israel. But because of their rejection and rebellion of God, and that's at large as a nation, obviously there were still some people that did not, and we'll go into that hopefully in Romans 11. But Romans uh, 10 tells us that now it shifted. Instead of using the Jews as the people to then bring things to the nations, and there were Jews that did that, the early apostles, he was going to then make this um, gospel go forth throughout the Gentile nations and these Gentiles were then God's elect people to then bring the Jews back to right standing with God. Now, this election, uh, at this point, I can't say it is a national election, but an election for a purpose. As we gone, we went through all the differences of what election might be um, in a previous episode, and I'll try and link that one in there as well. Um, so here we are jumping into Romans 10, realizing that now that election has been stripped from the Israelites now to the Gentiles, because now the Gentiles are going to be used to bring the, the, the uh, Israel and the flesh back to God, uh, according to the scripture. So we start with, uh, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And that is, uh, I think we can understand, he's talking about, Paul is talking about the Israel of the flesh, that meaning the, the national Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, and he is praying for them, not for the true Israel of God, which are already the saved people. He's saying, I wish that my flesh and blood, the 12 tribes of Israel would repent of their sins and they would be saved instead of rejecting this glorious gospel. That was Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God. We have to look at the entire argument of what Paul is going through, starting in Romans chapter nine and moving along to understand the full context so that we don't come up with something like uh, unconditional election out of those verses, but we see what God's intended purpose is through Paul in speaking these all. And so we get the whole context when we read all of it. Then we go to the, the second verse. For I bear them record, that is those fleshly Israelites, that they have a zeal of God, but they don't have that zeal according to knowledge. So what is he saying? They're, these people were a zealously religious people. Uh, and we can read in the Mishnah and certain other Jewish writings, they were zealously religious people. They had a zeal towards God in some fashion, but it wasn't according to knowledge. They uh, were religiously zealous, but they didn't have the true zeal of God that was tempered and directed by the knowledge of God. Sometimes what we do is we can take um, our certain ideas of, of who God is and, and what all that means. Then we make a system. 
And then God has to fit inside of that system. And so we can't necessarily hear God's voice or what he's doing if he doesn't fit in the system, then it must not be this way. And now we've got to go back to the drawing board and see how this can fit in the system. And that is what the Calvinistic system is. They have made these five points uh, under the acronym TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And then they try to fit God in that box that they've made instead of looking into the face of God and seeing who he is. And these people were so zealously religious according to the rules and everything that they had constructed themselves that they missed the true knowledge of God and therefore their righteousness or their zeal was not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that is the delineation of, excuse me, verse number two. He's saying, they still think basically that they can be holy, you know, by their own merits, by their own strength and power while rejecting the warning of the prophets. And the prophets had told them over and over again, it's not just this religious system. It's not just this obedience to all these different things on the outside. It's so much more. So they reject the warning of the prophets and then the warnings of the teaching of their Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And they think that they could be holy by their strict external obedience and the result really is that they did not want to submit to God's way of doing things. They wanted to stay in their system. They wanted to stay in the, the construct that they had made, which is a danger that every single one of us faces. And I do want to say that, as I said earlier, that the, uh, the Calvinists have constructed such a system and are stuck inside of this box. I do not believe that all people that uh, ascribe to the Calvinistic system are ones that uh, do not love God. There may be some that have deceived themselves in there, just like there are anywhere else in Christendom. But I do believe they really do love God and they want to glorify and honor him. It's just a shame that it's stuck inside of this box that really does bring God's glory and honor down into the dust rather than lift it up. So here these people have said, we are going to establish our own righteousness by obeying the laws uh, that we have made, and we are saying that this is how we obey God's law by obeying our laws, and we miss Christ in the middle of all of this. So they've established their own righteousness, and they have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. And we are told in verse four that <clears throat> Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so the end here means the fulfillment. Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So it's not a wholesale, well, Jesus fulfilled all um, obedience to the law. Therefore, by de facto or by default, I am now a, a Christian. I'm going to heaven and I'm righteous in God's sight. No, he, it's conditional. Here we find conditional election. It, Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law for who? To everyone that believeth. So it's not just a, a special class, you know, that, God arbitrarily chose from the foundation of the world uh, for to be going to heaven and others to be going to hell. It is in direct, um, it's a direct result of our obedience in the manner of condition. That does not mean, however, that I can clean myself up and make myself a Christian, but the condition is, will you believe on the name of the Son of God or not? Because if you won't, you'll be damned. If you do, you'll be saved. That's very simple. Any, any child can pick up a Bible and read that. Uh, but then you need the, the Westminster Confession and you need a host of commentaries 
uh, to try and explain why that believing is not really simply what it says, but that you were unconditionally elected. You need a whole lot of other things to come up with that. Um, so we as believers, we're the true Israel, according to Romans 9, know that Jesus makes us righteous and not the law. So here's this issue that's going on. The elected people are the ones that are, are believers. Verse five, for Moses describeth the righteousness, which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So Moses tells us that if you're going to serve the law, then you cannot offend in one point. You cannot do some of it and then leave some of it off. You will live and breathe the law, according to Moses. And we can find that in Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people say, amen. So he said, if you don't do all the words of the law, you're a cursed person. But then we find the law of liberty, the evangelical law in James 2, 10 through 12. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So that's the reiteration of the same point. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. And that is the evangelical law of liberty. Liberty in Christ, in that we've repented of our sins, trusted in him, believed on his name, and we are saved, and now we are his elect people. This is the gospel. Verse six, but the righteousness which is of faith, instead of the righteousness of the works, righteousness of the law that the Jews were under, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. And this is quoted from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Uh, it is said there, for this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven, that thou shouldest say who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh or near unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So this is the gospel law. The righteousness which is of faith according to Paul is, is on that wise of what we just quoted in, in Roman, or excuse me, in Deuteronomy who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down in the heart. He said, don't say this, this is the law. So who's going to get the salvation from the Messiah in heaven? Is it going to be the unconditionally elect? Uh, is it going to be just the Jews and the obedience of the law? Who's going to do all this and bring down Christ on earth? The, the simple fact of the matter is he's, al he's already come. Verse seven, who shall descend into the deep? He said, don't say this either. That is to bring up Christ from the dead. So who's going to go down into Hades? the abode of the dead and find Christ that he may be raised from the dead so that he can, we can have salvation. The answer is Jesus is already ascended from the grave. Nobody's going to do this. The law is not going to do this. No, no fleshly um, strength or ingenuity is going to somehow make this happen. It's already been done. The problem with the Jews was, is that they were trying to accomplish this by their own righteousness. And he's saying, you can't say all these things. It's close to you. It's the gospel message. It's in your heart. It's your conscience. Are you going to repent and believe? It is a conditional election. So what are we going to do with that? Verse eight, but what saith it? What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart. That is, uh, that is the word of faith, which we preach. So this salvation and ability to please God is very accessible. It's not you're unconditionally elected to um, heaven 
or to damnation. It's accessible only to those that believe the unveiled gospel that the apostles preach. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So he said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, in verse 9, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Notice it does not say, if thou art the elect of God from the foundation of the world, then you will be saved. It says, whosoever will confess, will shall believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that God had raised Christ from the dead, that person will be saved. That's simply what it is. Uh, verse 10, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Not by God's decree, but with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So first, there must be a faith in Christ to save you, and then the fruit will be confession from your lips. This is the gospel. It's not this crazy decree stuff um, that has been you know, brought to our attention through many many good men, I should say, as well. It's not that. It's, it's repentance and faith in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how somebody is saved. For the scripture saith in verse 11, whoso believeth, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Not just the elect, the unconditionally elect from the beginning, but whosoever believeth. We look in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. This person that believes it, it is conditional election for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So do you see that? All, all. It's not a chosen uh, amount of people, you know, arbitrarily. It's not that. It's all. Salvation through the law makes, uh, makes every subject have to become a Jew before he can be saved. But faith in Christ puts no difference between Jew and Gentile. And everyone can be endowed with the same riches. God's no respecter of persons. The, the only thing that needs happen is belief in Jesus Christ. That's it. All that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I would say this against the Calvinistic system. That includes the people that maybe are the, uh, the ones elected to reprobation. Because there is none elected to reprobation unconditionally from the beginning. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Conditional election. These are so forward. I don't know what else you could do with these to wrestle that out. And it was always God's purpose. If you look in Joel 2.32, God's purpose was prophesied this way. Any honest Jew would see this truth in the Old Testament and not be stubborn or rebellious. Any honest person now would see that. In Joel, it talked about people being brought into the valley of decision and the same call. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, that one will be delivered. It's, this has been God's plan from the beginning. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him 
of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I need to, well, let me say this first. Now, the Jews may know in whom to believe because God's saved people, the elect people, the church, the called out ones, those people will preach this foretold gospel in an unveiled manner to the Jews. So they can know it too. Here's the thing. If unconditional election is true, what purpose or function do we have in preaching? We're told here, first of all, that in order to be saved, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We're told that that is for everybody, all, whosoever, these are the words that are used, that will call on him, that will believe, those people will be saved. So this is taking that conditional aspect out of the way. It's taking out of the way a limited amount of people that cannot be added to or taken away from. It's all according to this place in scripture here and according to all the scriptures. It's all who believe on him. But then the question comes, how are people going to be to believe? Is it going to be that God just superintends or superimposes his own will upon our will and therefore making us be saved because God graciously just believes for us. And this is ultimately what Calvinism does boil down to, that God is the puppet master over us, the puppets, and nothing can happen unless he does it, including our own choices. And we talked about that in the total uh, depravity or total inability. We talked about that there. Now, if that is the case and it's that unconditional thing and God does everything, what function does preaching have? Because we're told that the the question that comes up that makes people concerned is, well, if if you need to believe in order to be saved, well, then how are they going to hear? How are these Jews going to hear? And he said, how are they going to call on him if they if they don't even know who the Son of God is? If they if they don't understand this gospel message? And he says, ah, they're going to need to hear. And they're saying, okay, well, that makes sense, but how are they going to hear? And ah, but they're going to hear because there's going to be a preacher. And they said, well, that's great. We need preachers then, but who's going to send the preachers? And we're told how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God calls preachers. God calls people to be messengers to the nations, including the Jews, the Jews that have rejected their own Messiah. This doesn't make sense if there is unconditional election. However, if there is a conditional election, then preaching does make perfect sense because we are giving the message of the gospel out and it's up to you as an individual what you are going to do with that message. Will you repent and believe or will you reject God? This is the judgment that will come upon the Jews if they continue in their rejection against God. I hope that makes sense to you. I hope you think about this and chew on this so that you can understand the simplicity of this gospel and not get it all tangled up in some kind of theological jargon of decrees and such. So then we look here at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed, or excuse me, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Speaking about Isaiah 53, he says, who hath believed our report? So not a good portion of the Jews did not believe. There was a small number that did. And he said, not all have believed the gospel. So he's thinking, this is good tidings. It's glad tidings. They have a chance to repent, but they won't. Oh, I thought they were God's elected people. So shouldn't they just do that by default? 
No, they were God's nationally elected people. Okay, well then the, the unconditionally elected people, they'll do that. No. These Jews had rejected God's message. And they needed somebody to go there and preach to them the truth and then give them a chance to repent. It has nothing to do with who God chose from the foundation of the world. It has everything to do with the message being heralded and declared and the response of a human heart as to what they're going to do with that truth. So we're told, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith does not come by a supernatural act of God where he just somehow unconditionally bestows it upon certain people, which is another theological fiction of the Calvinistic framework that regeneration is something that God does before in order that we can believe and be saved. Regeneration is what happens after one believes on the name of the Son of God. Regeneration is the same word for, it's the same idea and concept of being born again, regenerated, made new, made again. That's regeneration. We're told here that faith is not the action of God somehow giving us faith. We're told faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is simply an act of our will to believe what things are being told us. And then in believing that, we're acting on that. God's word tells us the message and God's son, the living word, tells the message. What are we going to do with Jesus? Do you see how this, this makes no sense, this unconditional election, and this is not what's being talked about in these chapters? Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Here's where personal responsibility comes in. So he's talking about the sound of the gospel going forth, of God's truth. So we had preachers and prophets. We find that in the Old Testament. But Paul here is using Psalm 19 and quoting from it in the fourth verse. He says about the the uh, heavens, about the sun going forth and preaching a message, the heavens declaring the glory of God. In verse four, he says, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. So the question is being asked, haven't the Jews known this? Don't Haven't they heard? And he says, yes, the, the sound's gone throughout all the world. And so then what is going on here? What is the problem? But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. So here is God's purposes. He knew that the Jews were going to reject him. So he had another plan in place. Now, it sounds like another plan. He knew this from all eternity. To us, it may look like another plan. This is the non-nationally elect people, the Gentiles, provoking God's nationally elect people, though they're not unconditionally elected to salvation. They, the Gentiles, are provoking those nationally elected people, the Jews, unto the true salvation of God in Jesus Christ. And this is a prophecy of what Paul has just here revealed. If this salvation has gone to the ends of the world, shouldn't Israel have known about it? Yes, they should have. But because of their rebellion, they brought the message to the Gentiles to provoke the unbelieving Jews. So they were the container that that message went out in. And then God's using that full circle to come back and provoke them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But Isaiah, we're told, is very bold. And saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Does this sound like unconditional election? It sounds like a people that, that were darkened, that weren't nationally elected, that suddenly hear the gospel and give their lives to, to Christ. 
The Gentiles readily apprehend the gospel, even though it was not something they were seeking for. That's what Isaiah said. And then verse 21, the last chapter or the last verse of this chapter, but to Israel, he saith, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Israel, however, heard the gospel from the written word of God and now also preached by the apostles and they rejected it. They were not unconditionally chosen to be reprobates. They had all of the truth and they chose to reject it. And because of that, they lost the privileges of their national election. This has nothing to do with an unconditional election, but everything to do with personal responsibility and God's overarching plan and using human responsibility and human human choice, giving each person a chance to repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. So dear listener, I hope you understand that the gospel is a gospel of personal responsibility. It is good news, but it's only good news to the one that calls on the name of the Lord, that believes on Jesus Christ in their heart and confesses with their mouth. He will save you. There, you, You're not an unconditionally elected reprobate. Everyone has a choice. Whosoever it told us inside of this chapter. So if that's you, dear listener, then I encourage you to repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com and set up a time. Uh, I would love to come and meet with you at a coffee shop, get a sandwich, do whatever we need to, talk about these things, help you along in your journey to walk with Jesus Christ. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.